So if you guys want to turn to Matthew chapter 17. So it's kind of interesting that Amy's talking about her episode where her heart was hurting because when that happened, like all I could do was pray for her. And like I said, it, it went on for 30, 40 minutes and stuff and I was just praying and, and really I felt helpless because... I mean, this has happened several times before and, you know, all the time, like all you can do is pray, not not saying that's all you could do, but, but literally that's all I could do is life. just pray for her and stuff. And But it's like, you know, you pray and you, you want God to answer, but it doesn't seem like God is answering, you know? I mean, you're sitting there praying and you want the pain to go away immediately. You want, you want like God to just go boom and it's done and he heals and it's over with and she never experiences it again and stuff. And so, but it didn't. And so I just, I just had to keep praying and keep praying and finally it did go away and stuff. And, but it really got me thinking, it's like, I don't know about you guys, but for me, a lot of times I, I pray, you know, sometimes you pray for things and boom, it happens, you know, it's like, wow, you know, and stuff. And there's other times you just like, say, for instance, people that I know, my, my dad, my brothers, they, they're all unsaved. And I've been praying for those guys for years and stuff. And, then, and as far as I can see it with my eyes, they're not any closer to being saved than they ever have been. And so I've just been really seeking the Lord about, Lord, why, why? Does it, you know, why do you not hear sometimes and stuff? And even throughout the Bible and, and in in life, you know, I think we've all known people who, who just, I mean, they, they have this thing with God where they pray, God hears them, boom, things happen and stuff. And a lot of us, we pray and it doesn't seem like things happen. And I'm like, what is the difference? Why, why, what is it that some people are able to pray and just things happen and others of us pray and we see God and, and things don't seem to happen as much and stuff. And, and uh, it just seemed like the Lord just, just was speaking to me about it's just all about intimacy. It's all about developing that relationship with us. And like we've talked about before, a lot of us, our prayer time, it, you know, is like, you know, for the most part, it's kind of boring and it's kind of like, Lord, you know, I need help today with this and I need help with this and I need help with this. And it's kind of this boring thing that goes on until something happens, like your wife feels like she's having a heart attack. Then you're praying. Then you're serious. Then you're like, Lord, I need you to move. I need you to do something right now. My wife is having a heart attack in front of my eyes or something's going on that I don't know. And we need you to do something here, you know. And so... Um, so it's like in, in, in Matthew 17 and verse 14, and we talk, we've been talking about this quite a bit. Um, Paul said in Philippians 3, 1, he says the right to write the same things again to you is no trouble to me and it's a safeguard to you. And so Paul was somebody that liked to repeat himself. And I find that I repeat myself a lot. And I think, you know, sometimes I kind of get like, well, maybe that's not a good thing. But I think that it is a good thing because we as human beings, we learn by repetition, right? We were talking to someone yesterday that we've just kind of gotten to know. And, uh, you know, when, you, when you're when uh, you getting together with someone that you don't really know, it's like you, you kind of forget their names and you got to ask them, what was your name again? You know, and stuff like that. And basically, we're talking how usually it takes like about seven times uh, of repeating someone's name to really get it down and stuff. And so the way that we are as human beings takes repetition. So 
So if sometimes we repeat things, it's a good thing for us. So in Matthew 17, verse 14, it says, When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and is very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him and the demon came out of him and the boy was cured at once. So again, here's the disciples are crying to cast out the demon. They're doing all these things. They're casting it out in the name of Jesus. They're doing everything that they know to do and it's not working. And Jesus walks up, speaks one word to it. Boom, it goes out. And so in verse 18, and then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I, truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and look at this, and nothing will be impossible to you. In verse 21, but this kind does not go except, out except by prayer and fasting. So, and, uh, so this is in Matthew 18. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. We know Matthew chapter 10 is before Matthew chapter 18, right? So we're just going to look at this kind of chronologically. In Matthew 18, we have a case where the disciples could not cast the demon out of the boy. And in Matthew 10, in verse 1, it says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave, look at this, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. You see that? So here in Matthew 10, long before Matthew 18, Jesus gave his disciples authority to cast out demons. He gave them power to cast out demons. Um, let's see. In verse 8, he says, or verse 7, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look at this. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So not only does D Jesus say, I give you the authority to do it, but he gives them a command to do it. So in Matthew 18, when they're trying to cast the demon out of the boy, they're doing what Jesus had called them to do. Not only are they doing what Jesus had called them to do, they're, giving, they're doing what Jesus had said that he had given them the power to do. But why couldn't they do it? And in verse 21, it says, this kind only comes out through prayer. You see that? And so I think that what happened is that... so. Jesus gives the disciples this commission. He says, I'm giving you authority to cast out demons, heal the sick, heal the lame, heal the blind, all these things. And what happens is I believe that they, they started doing those things. They started ministering in the name of the Lord. And I think that what happened with them is what happens to a lot of us is they got caught up in ministry rather than they got up, caught up in being with the Lord. Because the thing that we always forget is that the power to minister, the power to touch people's lives doesn't come from us. It's not our ability. It's the ability that he gives us. And that ability comes from being in his presence. That ability comes 
from him flowing through us. It's not us, you know, casting out. It's not us doing this or us ministering or us doing all these things in the name of the Lord. It's us allowing him to flow through us. And I think that what happened is between Matthew 10 and Matthew 18, the disciples had fallen into the trap, which lots of ministers do, and I think we all do from time to time, of just falling into the thing, well, this is what we do for the Lord. We are doing things for the Lord. And, you know, and none of those things are bad things. God called them to do those things. Jesus wants us to do things for him. But that's not the important thing. The important thing above all other things is spending time in his presence. When we spend time in his presence, that's where we get the power because we've been with him, right? And what he has, his anointing, his power rubs off on us. And, uh, Look at uh, Mark chapter 1. See, the thing is, is they were following Jesus. They were doing the things that Jesus was doing. And that's the same as us. We follow Jesus. We do the things that we do. We want to we wanna do, we want to be like him. But um, Jesus was a man of prayer. And in Mark 1 verse 29, it says, Immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. When evening came after the sun had set, and they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door. So all these people were lining up for ministry. And this is what the church is for. The church is to affect the world, right? We are, and, and God, I believe that God has given the church the ministry of casting out the demons of this generation, right? And whenever, whenever, if it, when the Lord begins to work through people, it begins to draw them because they see, they begin to see that power. But the problem is, is again, we fall, not, can you turn on the fan, please? We begin to fall into the rote and the things of this is the ministry that I do. This is the healing that I do or this. I mean, we see all, we see all kinds of people today. This is this this man has the the ministry of evangelism or this man has the ministry of healing or this man has the ministry of prophecy or this woman has the ministry of prophecy. And what happens is they get I we we get identified as our ministry rather than this man knows the Lord. This woman knows the Lord, and because of that, God works through this person. And that was one of the cool things about Paul. Paul wasn't just an evangelist. He wasn't just a healer. He wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a this or he wasn't any of that. Paul was someone who knew Jesus and, and was well acquainted with him and spent time in his presence. And because of that, he wasn't locked into this thing, this box, this, this religious thing. Well, this is the religious thing that I am. And I have to operate in this religious thing. I can't step out of this religious thing because this religious thing defines who I am. And anytime we do that, we are boxing ourselves in and we are closing ourselves in to what God wants to do because the Holy Spirit blows where he will and the Holy Spirit is not confined to our boxes the Holy Spirit is not confined to our religious things and what well, oh this guy's an evangelist so I can't heal through this person or this person's a healer so I can't you know I can't I can't uh, you know cast out demons through them and stuff 
And I think that, again, the, in the church, we lock ourselves into these things and these modes. And it's, it's a religious spirit that locks us into those things because once we get locked into them, it, it, can, it, can, it, can, it can cease the flow of the Holy Spirit through us. And then, uh, let's see, in verse 32, when evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door. So again, multitudes are lining up for ministry. And the thing is, is with the church, with us as believers, there will never be an end to the needs, right? There will never be an end to uh, people that need ministry, to people that need a touch from God, the people that need to be healed. But look at this with Jesus. It says, And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Look at this in 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. So again, Jesus was a man of prayer. Look at... Uh, um, I thought I hadn't. Yeah, look at Luke chapter 6. Verse 12. Luke 6 verse 12 says, It was this, at this time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, Look at this. He spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them whom he also named his apostles. Now, if Jesus spends whole nights in prayer with his Father, and Jesus is the Son of God, never has sinned, never has walked in darkness, never has stumbled, how much more do we need to spend time in the presence of the Lord? And so many times churches these days, they raise up elders or deacons or whatever and stuff. And it's like, well, let's vote on it and stuff. Jesus spent the whole night in prayer praying because these men were going to be the leaders of the church. And so for him, it wasn't just this light thing. Well, let's pick Thomas. Let's pick Peter, um, John, you know. This was something that he took to the Father and he sought God all night long in prayer. Um, one more place in Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verse 22. Now this is immediately the next day after Jesus fed the 5,000 people. So, like, imagine if you were able to supernaturally feed 5,000 people, you'd have people knocking at your door, right? Mm -hmm. you, you wouldn't be able to get rid of them, essentially. Mm -hmm. In verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. Look at this in 23. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. So, again, in so many pastors, so many preachers, so many, so many of us just Christians, we get burnt out in ministry, right? So many people burn out in ministry because they minister, they minister, they give out, they give out, they give out. And everybody that comes to them, they give out. Everybody that has a need, they give out. Everybody that you know, that has anything, they're like, well, let me minister to that need. And sometimes I think that it, that, uh, it kind of it is attached to a weakness in us 
Sometimes we have a weakness in us that I have to feel useful. I have to feel needed. I have to minister to people. I have to touch people. I have to, I have to do something in order to, to, to feel like I'm doing something for God or to feel like I'm, you know. And, and again, God has called us to minister. God has called us to reach this generation. But the thing about Jesus is he knew that he could not, he could not minister to anyone if he's empty himself. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We cannot, we, cannot, we cannot minister to anyone unless we ourselves are filled. And sometimes we have to, that takes us to be saying no sometimes to even good things like ministry. And to say, you know, you know what, right now I can't do that. Right now I need to go and spend time with the Lord. And we all have busy schedules. We all have things going on. We all have stuff that, that has to happen. But, you know, like Martin Luther said, he said, I've got all these things that I've got to do today, multitudes of things that I've got to attend to, and, and all these things, and he says, as a matter of fact, I've got so much that I have to do that I've got to spend the, at least the first three hours of my day in prayer before God. Mm. And so that's the thing, because we, we again, we, we somehow lose the vision and the thought and the idea that ministry is a supernatural thing of the Lord flowing through us. And we think that it's something that we can work up in our own strength and our own flesh and that it's somehow it's us doing the thing. And like I said, sometimes we, we do that because there's a weakness in us that feels like if we're not doing something for God or if we're not doing this or if we're not reaching this person, then, then, you know, then we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. But the thing is, is God has never called any of us to minister without the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. Because, again, it's not for our glory, and it's not, by, just like the Scripture says, it's not by our might, not by our power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And so, again, in that, the, the only way that we can get filled up with the Holy Spirit is to come and spend time in His presence, away from everything else, away from the distractions, away from the noise, away from the people clamoring for His attention, away from the people that need ministry, that need it, that need it. They need the ministry. But Jesus, to those people, said, you know what? I need to go, and I need to be alone, and I need to be fed first. Because you can't feed somebody if you haven't been fed first. It's like when, uh, when, I, when I was a, a scuba instructor, um, we would teach rescue courses. The first thing they would teach you is the main thing that you have to do is rescue yourself before you can rescue anybody else. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. If you can't swim, you don't need to be trying to rescue someone else because you're going to drown yourself and that other person. So you need to be at a position to where you're able to rescue yourself, then you can rescue somebody else. And the only way, again, that that happens is us being filled with the Spirit of God. And the only way that happens is when we come and we spend private, personal time with Him. Right? Mm -hmm. um, I was going to, there's times when I was younger that we'd get together and go evangelize and you get all nervous and you're going to go do this thing with the group and you like do it and then you're like you don't do it for a while again and then you go again finally after several months and you like feel like you're not doing the work of the Lord and you feel empty and unfulfilled mm -hmm. whereas if it's spirit fed in the moment and that was the person God was leading to you that day then you feel fulfilled and excited and you were able to minister to them because he did it 
according to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. And you see fruit, which refreshes yeah. you too, you know, and so, and that's the thing. And I think that is the condition of the church. I think Jesus said, my church will be called a house of prayer. And, you know, back in the day, they used, the church used to spend hours in prayer. And whereas now, like you might get one, two, three, or four people to come together in a prayer meeting to pray, back in the day, like they would have most of the congregation praying and stuff. And, and they would see things happen. And before they would do anything, they would pray and they would seek the Lord over it. And when they would do it, they would have the power of the Lord to do it. And so what we're doing in the church now is there is so little church, there is so little prayer in the church, and then we wonder, we're surprised, we're shocked that we see so little fruit. We, so, we see so few people being born again. We see so few people getting saved. And what we do is we try to, we go the other direction. We try to have more meetings. We try to have more evangelistic outreaches. We try to uh, have like Jesus burgers and we try to, you know, invite the poor and we try to take drinks out to people and, and water and all those are good things. But again, unless they are filled with the power of God, it's not going to affect things in the spiritual realm. It's not going to bind the demonic spirits. It's not going to cast demons out of people. It's not going to heal people of their spiritual death. It's not going to open blind eyes or deaf ears. It, people are going to still be hardened in their sins. And so we're trying to do these things, and we're trying to do all these good things. We're trying to do the things that God has called us to do to reach our generation, to reach our cities, to reach our, 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 our communities and things. But we're doing it without the power of God, and that's the reason why we're seeing so little fruit. And God is calling us as believers. He's trying to wake up his church and say, if you want something done, it's going to have to be through the power of the Holy Spirit because you're not going to be able to work it up. Even if you have, like, if you're, like, just so gifted and talented and God has just poured out these amazing gifts and talents and you're able to speak and just open people's like people are just, wow, I've never heard anyone speak like that. It's still not going to have any spiritual effect on them. I mean, it may sound like a great speech. It may be awesome to them. And they're like, wow, that's really, that's really great. And it blesses them in some ways. But you can't raise the dead from the, uh, you can't raise the dead to life without the Spirit of God. We can't speak to the Lazarus of this generation and say, come forth unless the Holy Spirit is flowing through us because it's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And that's what we're doing. We're doing everything through the power of the flesh. Good desires, good hearts, good purposes, and everything. And, and nothing's happening because it's not by the power of God. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. And that's what we're doing. We're building and, and we're, 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 we're doing more things than the church has done before. We go out with the youth and we play basketball with them. We do all these kinds of things and we're building and we're building and we're building. But it's not lasting and it's not standing because the Lord's not building it. And so Jesus was a man of prayer, but uh, look at the math. Look at this, the disciples in Matthew chapter twenty-six. In Matthew twenty-six, this was Jesus' greatest trial in the flesh when he was on the earth. It's when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and in verse um, verse thirty-six. This is the night before he was betrayed, or the night that he was betrayed. And he knew, he even told his disciples, I'm going to be betrayed tonight. I, I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to take me. They're going to crucify me. 
And he, he's telling his disciples all that. And in verse 36, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? So here's the disciples. Jesus is going through his toughest moment yet with them. And, and they can't stay awake. And that's the church. I mean, Moses went on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and spent that time, all that time in the presence of the Lord praying and seeking him. And we can't pray for 40 minutes. You know? And, I, and this is to me as much as anybody. You know, this is, I mean, it, and that's what I'm saying. You know, so many times I personally, we come, you try to get down and pray and you've got all these things that you want to pray for. You've got all these needs that you see that, that if God doesn't do something, people are sunk. People are going to die in their sins. And then you get down on your knees and you begin to pray and it's like, it's, it's not, you're like, it's not there. You know, and, 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 and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but you try to, you try to pray and it's like you're fighting through mud and sludge and you're, you're trying and you're trying and it's like you feel like you're not getting anywhere, but you're spinning your wheels. And so, so many of us at that point, we give up and we stop and we're like, well, it's not working. I'm just going to do something else. Maybe I'll read my Bible or something, right? And we don't persevere. And so in verse, uh, in verse um, 41, he says, Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. Look what he says. The Spirit's willing. So within us, the Holy Spirit is wanting to do it. The Holy Spirit is urging us to do it. The Holy Spirit is seeking men and women right now who are going to begin to seek him. The Holy Spirit is wanting to raise up men and women across the world that want to seek him in prayer and spend time in his presence. But so often we give into our flesh, don't we? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, right now I'd rather do something or we start to pray and what happens? We, oh, I got this bill that I got to pay, right? Or, oh man, I'd, I left the sprinklers on. Or all these things pop into our head. And a lot of it's the enemy, right? Working through our flesh and stuff. And so all these things that were unimportant 10 minutes ago now become the most important things in our lives that we got to deal with right now. Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to his disciples and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is, is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. You see that? So in the time of Jesus' most toughest time up into his this point in his life is his most faithful friends his disciples his his chosen ones the ones that he handpicked and said come follow me the ones that he ate with slept with ate drank with and did all kinds of things with instead of walking with him and having his back in this situation they like us fell asleep and again, this is the state of the church today. And God is still saying to the church, hey, the Spirit's willing. 
And the Spirit has always been willing, and the Spirit is willing, but we aren't willing to pay, to, to pay that price, to go through the trials. To, and the thing is, is prayer is like everything. Everything when we start doing it, especially the things of the Spirit, everything when we first start doing the things of the Spirit, they're difficult. They're hard. We start reading the Bible, it's like, I, I don't understand what they're saying, and we want to quit. And the thing is, is there's an enemy in our ear called the flesh that Satan works through, and he's whispering, "You just quit. I mean, this, you're, you're doing all this effort, you're trying to do all this, and it's not working. Just quit, Right? And so many times, instead of paying the price, instead of doing the difficult thing, instead of doing the hard thing, we're like, yeah, you're right. And we quit. And a lot of times we quit right as the Lord is fixing to start moving, right before the Lord is, 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 is going to start doing some things in our lives. We quit right before he's doing that. And, and I'm sure sometimes the Lord gets frustrated and he's like, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? You know? Um, and so, and, and the thing is, is, is Jesus has given to his church authority. He has given us power. But the thing is, is everything, everything with the things of God has to be experienced experientially, right? Salvation is there for everyone, but we're not Unitarians, we don't believe that every single person is saved just because God has made salvation available for everyone. God has made salvation available for every single man, woman, and child on this earth. But it has to be appropriated personally for that salvation to have effect in my personal life. In other words, I have to receive that, I have to act on that, and I have to bring that into my possession for it to be effective for me. It's like if someone says, you know what, I have a million dollars for everybody on the planet. That million dollars ain't going to come to you unless you go and get the check from the person. That's the same way with the things of God. And God has power and authority for us as believers not to exalt ourselves or to make ourselves good, look good, but to, to, um, for his kingdom to come on this earth. But for that to happen, we have to appropriate that personally in our own personal lives. Every single great man or woman in the Bible that God used were people that went through the trials, went through the fire, and faced the, the difficulties, faced the hard things to go and said, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to pass through this. I'm going to keep plugging. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep going until I break through this, and I'm going to break through to the other side. Every, every person that God has ever used through the Word of God or even the great people, the men and women of God that we've heard of outside the Word, they were people that passed those trials. And they are trials. They are there to test us. They are there. The thing is, because God gives Himself freely and He gives Himself willingly, but at the same time, it says the secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Yeah. Right? And it's just like all of us. We, we have people that are acquaintances, right? But the people that we truly entrust ourselves to are people that have entrusted themselves to us. People who have spent time with us. People that truly want to... I mean, you're not going to truly give yourself to someone that doesn't want to know you, right? You're not going to truly entrust yourself to someone that's, that just kind of hangs out with you because you might have money or because you, you know, whatever, you know, because of whatever purpose or whatever... You entrust yourself to people that you know care about you. You entrust yourself to people that, that, that invest themselves into you. The same way with God. God, because ever since the Garden of Eden, 
God says, you know what? God came and initiated everything with mankind. He gave man this garden. He gave man everything there was to give. And he says, you know, and you can do anything that you want to in this garden. You can have everything you want. There's only one thing that you can't do, and that is eat off this tree. Only one. It wasn't like a million rules. There weren't any rules. There was only this one rule. You cannot eat off this tree. And man broke that rule, right? And that's the way that man is. We want our own selfish desires. We want our own things. And so God, when, whenever we begin to get serious about the things of God, whenever we begin to seek him with all of our hearts, he takes us through a process, a process of discipleship, a process of winnowing, a process of transformation where he begins to chip off the things that are not like him. He begins to chip off our pride, our, our lust, our arrogance, our our immaturity and all these things that are not like him. He begins to take us to this process because he wants people that he can trust, right? I mean, you look at the 80s and all these ministers that fell, you know, they were having relationships with other women besides, well, it still goes on today. I mean, there's still ministers. I heard one just the other day that ran off with his secretary or whatever and stuff. And these are the men of God. These are the women of God. And so and the church is filled with people that, that, are, that are a mile wide, but an inch deep. And that's the way that we are as human beings. So God says, you know what? I'm not just going to give you the, kings, the keys to the kingdom. He's like, I will give you everything, but it's going to happen through this process. And that process is called the desert. And that process is called fire. And so in Genesis chapter 3, And see, this is not work salvation, okay? Because, um, as a matter of fact, instead of Genesis 3, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 9. Salvation is free, right? And, but the things of God, to truly know God in a real way, the Bible says that, that the people of Israel knew God's acts, but it says Moses knew God's ways. And so all throughout the Bible, you see... Uh, you see two types of people. You see a people that are religious, a people that know about God. And, and, you know, and that describes the church to a great extent, I think, people that know about God. But then you see all through the Bible, there were these few people that knew God face to face. And they knew who he was. They knew his voice. They knew what he wanted. They knew, they knew what he was saying. They knew because they knew his heart because he revealed his heart to them, because they were people like Daniel, who spent days, Daniel spent 21 days in the presence of God, just getting to know him and, and things. And people, all these people, we always wonder why Joshua led the people of God after Moses. Well, there's a scripture that talks about while Moses was out doing his thing, Joshua spent all of his time in the tent, the, the, the tabernacle, seeking the Lord. And so those are the people that God looks for. Those are the people that God wants to use. It's the people who want to spend the time to take the, you know, the, to spend the time in his presence getting to know him. And that's a difficult thing. That's a hard thing. Our flesh doesn't want to do it. Our flesh would rather watch television. Our flesh would rather watch books. Our flesh would rather do whatever, you know, just, just sit on the porch and relax. Anything but, but you know, seek God. And it's difficult. We have to put our flesh to death. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 
And I'm not talking about salvation again. What I'm talking about is going into that deeper relationship with the Lord. Okay? I'm talking about getting to know Him in a true way, getting to know Him in a real way. Because I, I've wanted to know God. I've wanted to know God. And so many times, it's like I have felt almost as though like there's, there's this thing in my way and I can't get through it and I, I don't know what it is and I'm trying to fight it and I'm, I'm trying to wrestle it. It's just like that thing. We talked about Jacob wrestled with the angel and he wrestled all night and he wrestled and he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless him. And it was at that moment where God changed his nature, he changed his name, and he changed his character. From that moment on, Jacob was changed for the rest of his life. And so God brings us to that point of desperation where we can't be satisfied with religion. We can't be satisfied with going to church. We can't be satisfied with being good people, doing good things or doing religious things even. But it's like, I've got to know him. I want to know him. I want to, I want, I want to get beyond religion. I want to get beyond the church thing, I want to get beyond what everybody tells me about God. I don't want to know what everybody else knows about God. I want to know Him face to face. And this was Paul's desire. Paul wasn't about just doing the religious thing. He wasn't putting on the suit and the tie and doing the thing. He was like, I want to know Him. And in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, He says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that, so that I may win more. To the Jews, I become a Jew so that, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as though under the law, though no, not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law as, those, as without the law. Verse 23, he says, I do all things. Do you see that? He says, I don't just do some of the things in my life. I don't just kind of live, you know, my life to, for my job and my family and my responsibility. And I'm, I'm not saying ne neglect anything. I'm not saying neglect your job or responsibilities. God has called us to do that. He says, a man who will not work will not eat. But that wasn't Paul's focus. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable. Therefore I, Paul, run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and I make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, there's a lot of churches that if you start saying things like this, they're saying, that's works. That's works religion. Paul knew he was saved. Paul had no doubts of his relationship with God. He had no doubts about his, where his standing was with the Lord. He knew that he was saved. But he said, so that I can know him, mm -hmm. so that I can have this intimate relationship with him, I do all things for the sake of that. Even to the point to where I, it's like I'm buffeting my body and I make it my slave. I don't let my body dictate to me what it wants to do. So he says, I dictate to myself. And that's the thing, we're led away by our passions, aren't we? Yeah. 
Even as believers, as we're like led away to our... I know people, I know Christians who are like, well, smoking is a sin, but they weigh 300 pounds. So you're saying that that smoking is a sin, but your overeating's not? And so we give in to our passions. We give in to our bodies. We, get, we let our... Des- and he's not talking about just my physical body per se. He's talking about our desires, our appetites, our, our wills and stuff. And so it's like... In, He's, he's like, I, I, I make my TV watching my slave, right? I make my entertainment my slave. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with watching TV or entertainment, but when it controls us, then there's something wrong. Even exercise, there's some people that exercise controls. Exactly. Like Hours. A little profit, and all yeah. you're doing is staring in front of the mirror. Yeah. Thinking about yourself. And right. You don't care about other people. And, and I do believe that we have a responsibility to take care of these bodies right. because especially in that, you know, I want to live as long as I can unless the Lord wants to take me or the Lord takes me or whatever. I want to live as long as I can to reach as many as I can, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the thing is, is, again, there's this thought that like, well, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to take care of yourself. God's going to keep you alive. Well, go to the doctor. <laughs> if your heart's hurting, go to the doctor. That's what doctors are for. God give them wisdom so that they could heal you and stuff. Pray first and go to the doctor. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Pray, pray. Definitely. Pray first and get on your treadmill. Yeah, but but that's the whole thing. It's like, Paul says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. He relegated his life. He he constrained his life. He, 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 He did hard things, which some people would call legalism. Anytime... Christians today kind of sweat any kind of teeny little tear. It's like, oh, that's legalism. No, it's not. It's wanting to see the Lord move. It's wanting to know Him. Paul said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel and for knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, why is this so hard? Turn to Genesis chapter 3. We all know the story of Adam and Eve, how they sinned against God, and because of that, um, God kicked them out of the garden, right? And then uh, verse 24 is the account of that. It says, So he, God, drove drove the man out at the east of the Garden of Eden. Look at this. He stationed the cherubim and the and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So when the Lord um, kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden of Eden, he put an angel there with a flaming sword. And I believe that that flaming sword has been there to this day. And it's something that in order for us to know him, for us to really come into that relationship with him, we have to pass through that. Turn to some other places. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Bible, in fact, you see God talked about as dwelling in flaming fire. Um, look at um, um, Exodus chapter 3. And again, this is I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about getting to know Him, coming through all of that to where... To the place where God dwells, to the place where God lives, to the place of His presence. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 
verse 1. Now, this is after Moses had killed the Egyptian, and then he goes on the backside of the wilderness for 40 years, right? Um, imagine how he felt. He was a prince of Egypt. He was someone who had power. He had authority. People trembled at his presence. People, people were afraid of him. People, you know, nobody would look at him. Well, people wouldn't look at the princes and the kings, they would bow their heads before him, and they would they would bow and stuff. And this is the way this man was treated. After this, he went and spent 40 years in the wilderness feeding sheep. And nobody respected him because a shepherd was the lowest occupation you could have, essentially. And so he went from the very top to the very bottom. And he spent 40 years in the wilderness, and then God reveals himself to him. In verse 1, Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire. So every time God appears to somebody, it's through fire. It says, through In a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that, he turned aside to look. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Then the Lord said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. You see that? And the thing is, like, my, one of my favorite biblical movies is The Ten Commandments, but I hate, I hate the graphics of the, of the burning bush. I, I, I picture this in my mind sometimes, and I picture this bush that's engulfed in flame. And I don't know if you've ever been around something that's on fire, but it's hot, right? You see all these movies where people, like, someone will be in a house and a person will run into, you know, grab a towel and cover their head and run into the house and grab them and run back out and stuff like that. In real life, if you come to a house that is engulfed in flame, you are going to think twice about whether or not you're going to go in there. And you're going to have to really, really care about that person to go in that house. Because if you're by a house that is engulfed in flame, you can't stand the flames of it. You can't be close to it because the flames are burning you and they're hot and stuff. And so I believe that when, when this bush is on fire and it's burning, there's this heat coming off of it. And that's why the Lord says, stand back from it, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing with God. God dwells in flame. Turn to another place in uh, um, Daniel 7, verse 1. Just like the Israelites, when God led them out of Israel, how did he lead them? He led them in a pillar of fire by night, right? So God was with them in fire. God is a consuming fire, the Bible says. What, uh, what book were we in? Daniel. Daniel. Go page 1074. <laughs> Just kidding. What's it after or before? It's after Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Okay. Daniel 4? Daniel 9. Mm -hmm. So again, we know that... Why was Daniel the person that he was? Because he spent time with the Lord, right? And because of that, God revealed 
things to him. God would have him dream dreams and give him visions and stuff like that. Um, Daniel was such a man of prayer that when the people wanted to kill him, they said, um, they told the king to put a, an image of himself out there that everyone had to bow to, and everyone bowed to it except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. Or actually, they forbid the people from praying to any gods but the king. But Daniel would pray in the sight of all, not to be seen by all, but he would pray because he wasn't going to bow to their wishes and stuff. And so Daniel was a man of prayer, and because of that, God revealed himself to him. Daniel 9, verse 1. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books... No, I think I'm in the wrong chapter, actually. Seven, the first seven? Yeah, that's right. I was just checking. Yeah. Seven verse one. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on a bed. Then he wrote the dream and related the following summary of it. Look at verse nine. He says, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was, he's talking about God, right? He said his vesture or his clothes was white like was like white snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Look at this. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. And again, when we think about that, sometimes we just kind of see this picture of fire and stuff like that. Again, think of flames and fire and stuff. Think about if you're there in that presence of that, how hot it would be and just the the power of it and stuff. And have you, like in, in um, World War II, um, the... The British and Americans um, started flying bombers over over um, over Germany and dropping bombs on them. It would actually, because the fire was so hot, it would create tornadoes of fire, because the fires were so hot. And that's the nature of fire, the power of fire. And in their world, back then, they they had nothing to compare to it. Fire was one of the most powerful, and it still is actually. I mean, you can, like, any time a brush fire starts in California or Colorado or something, it burns millions of acres and stuff. And that's the power of fire and stuff. And, and so this, again, you can't be around it. And this is, this is, this is, it's showing us what God is like. God is a fire and stuff. And for us to want to get to know him, we have to pass through that. We have to do what it takes. We have to say, even if it burns me, even if it's hard on my flesh, even if it's difficult to pass through this, I'm going to do whatever it takes to pass through this so I can get to him on the other side and I can get to know him. In verse 10, he says, a river was, a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Like in Kona, they have a volcano and stuff. And you can see just the river of fire flowing as it flows from the volcano. So it says, okay, it says a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Turn to another place in Psalm 50. So again, fires, and especially when we're talking about the presence of God, Fire is not just this little little tiny thing, and it's not like a campfire. We're talking about a bonfire. We're talking about these massive fire tornadoes and stuff. This is the presence of God. And in Psalm 50, verse 
verse 1. It says, The Mighty One, God the Lord, has spoken and summoned the earth from the rising of the sun excuse me, to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. May our God come and not keep silence. Look at this. Fire, fire devours before him, and it's very tempestuous around him. You see that? So again, around the throne of God is this roaring flame, and it's tempestuous, and the flames are licking, and they're going everywhere and stuff. And it's this is the Lord. God dwells in this. And, and you know, and again, a lot of times we think, well, oh, this is some Old Testament thing. Turn to Revelations. Because this is a New Testament thing as well as Old Testament. In Revelations 1. In Revelation 1 is when uh, um, John gets his revelation. John is in the island of Patmos. What's he doing? He's seeking the Lord. He's praying to God. And at that place of prayer... And that point of, again, intimacy, that place, and that's the thing. And this is not something that, this is not a legalistic thing that we're saying, this is something that you've got to do, or this is something, uh, this is something that if you want to know God in this way, this is the process. You have to go through the fires. You have to go through the flames. You have to go through the difficulty of your flesh not wanting to pray, your flesh not wanting to read the Bible, your flesh not wanting to follow God, your flesh wanting to go back to your drugs, your flesh wanting to go back to the prostitutes, your flesh wanting to go back to whatever it was, even if it's being a, a suit and tie. Workaholic. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Because if you're not following God, you're still dead in your sins, even if you're a nice guy, a businessman, a banker, whatever, and stuff. But again, your flesh wants to go back to those things. But if, you, if we, like Paul, discipline our flesh, we make it our slaves, then we can go through those and we can find the Lord on the other side. And in Paul, Revelation 1... And Paul said it was, it was worth it and he counted it all a loss, you know? Yeah. Verse 1, John says in verse 12, he says, Then I turned to see the voice of the one that was speaking to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His, hair, his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it's been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters." So again, this is not some kind of an archaic Old Testament thing. This is New Testament too. And so we're not saying that God is like this literal fire or that God is an actual fire or anything like that. But these things, when the, when the biblical writers write that, they write it to give us pictures in our minds to give us an idea of what it's like. And they, they give, us to, give to us things that we can relate with, right? Again, you know the tempest of a bonfire. You know when you get close to that, it's burning your face and you have to turn the other side there because your face is like on fire, so you got to turn around and turn the back side to it, right? And then that side starts melting, so you got to turn around again, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the presence of the Lord. It's a consuming fire and it's hot. And it's like to get there is not an easy thing. 
to get there, to get in the presence and to dwell in that presence costs something. And it costs, Paul said, everything. Turn to 2 Corinthians 11. Actually, yeah, 2 Corinthians 11. And again, this the people that have been used by God, whether in the Bible or whether out of the Bible, people like Finney, Wesley, Luther, all those people, People that were used greatly by God were people who passed through the fires, mm. who willingly passed through. And it's a, it's a willing thing. We have to want it because God's not going to pass us through it for him, right? Sometimes. He's not going to take us. Sometimes, <laughs> well, okay, he puts us through trials, right? And those trials are, are, are like the shallow end of the pool in some senses, mm -hmm. right? Those those trials are fires, but they're kind of like the mini fires to lead us to the greater fire. And it's just like with the people of Israel, when God led them through the wilderness, he would lead them through these trials and these temptations and these all these desert experiences. And it was and that's the thing, God leads us through those experiences too. He leads us through hard things sometimes. We wonder why the prayers that we're praying are not working. We wonder why our friends are backsliding or we wonder why, um, you know, I, I, my, I can't get a decent job or, or my wife hates me or my husband treats me like whatever and stuff. And it's like these trials are all to focus us and point us to who is behind it all, Right? And sometimes, and that is the point where so many people stop following God. It's like, well, I didn't think it was going to be hard. I thought my life was going to all of a sudden be great. I thought everything was going to be easy. I thought everything was going to be great after that. And then all these tough things happen, all these hard things happen. You're like, well, God, what's going on? And it's all part of the fires. It's all part of that process. And that process is winnowing us. That process is because the problem is me. The problem is me. The problem is me. The problem is my desires. What, I, what is the first thing a child wants? What's, what's the first thing a child says? Mine. Me. I want this. I want that. If I can't have it, I'm going to throw a temper tantrum. If I don't get my way, I'm going to do something else. That And the thing is, is we don't grow out of it. There are people 60, 70 years old that are the same exact way. And we're all that way until Jesus comes to us. And begins to take us through that desert process. It's a, it's a, there's a mystic back in the 1500s. He wrote a book called The Dark Night of the Soul. And God will lead us through those places. Through those wilderness experiences. So that, And he was leading the people of Israel. And they never got it. They never understood. And he gave them the manna to show them that it's not by... Uh, not by uh, bread, man will not live by bread, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And he does these things to make us dependent on him. Because why? Again, whenever we experience tough times, what do we do? We cry out in earnest to the Lord. Then we start seriously seeking, God, what's going on? Why is this happening in my life? But he wants us to do that without everything falling apart, right? Mm -hmm. He wants, because he wants to pour everything of him into us. And so salvation is free, but that intimate relationship with him, that knowing him costs everything because he gave everything for us. 
He, he, he poured it all out. He didn't save anything for, uh, for himself. And all this thing that, you know, the Bible says, Scripture says that God is love. We take that and we turn it around to mean that, well, God is this doting grandfather that will kind of give you everything that you want and just kind of bless you. And even when you're throwing the tinter down, I mean, he's going to go, oh, you look at you. You're so cute and stuff. What that scripture means is that everything that God does for mankind is done out of unselfishness, right? Even many, many of the good things that we do, we do out of selfishness. Maybe I'll give my wife a back massage because maybe she'll give me one tomorrow, right? Or, you know, maybe maybe I'll put gas in Cody's car because, you know, maybe he'll buy me a, you know, a hamburger for lunch. You know what I'm saying? So even a lot of our good things are done out of selfish motives. Everything that God does, even when he punishes us, even when he disciplines us, he does it for our good. When he gives us good things, he's doing it for our good. When he gives us trials, when he's given us hard times, he's doing it for our good. So when the scripture says God is love, that doesn't mean he's this wishy-washy old hippie in heaven. It means that he does everything with an unselfish motive. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Good. Um, turn to um, Matthew chapter 15. And again, God tests our hearts to see where we're at. And he wants to know. And, and the thing is, is, here's the thing. We get saved, most of us, we get saved because we got problems, right? like my dad beats me or or my mom kicked me out of the house or I've got drugs or I've got you know sexual addictions or, or whatever it is and stuff so we come to him because we got these problems and that's okay he doesn't mind that but at some point he wants us to get beyond that right it's like if the only relationship that you have with your dad is so you can borrow the car you know, it's like, oh, I, I treat my dad great when I need something from him or I need money or something like that. And that's the way we are with God. We're like, I'll come and pray to you when I need something. But if I don't need you, well, you might catch me on Sunday in church or maybe you won't or whatever and stuff. And, you know, don't expect anything really beyond that. Right. Right. And uh, so, again, he takes us through this process to show us where our hearts are. Because we don't even know where our hearts are, right? We think that we're the best thing to slice cheese or whatever. Mm. I mean, we do one little thing, we think, oh, look at me, you know, ooh, and stuff. And God's like, uh, not really. So, and, and look, at, look at the way of God. Because the way of God is so unlike us in the church. And in, in Matthew 15, verse 21 says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon were basically, um, well, they were Gentiles, right? They were unbelievers. They were wicked idol worshipers, okay? And so, and a Canaanite woman from the region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Now, again, we live to minister, right? It's like, as long as there's a ministry opportunity, I'm going to take it. And stuff, and a lot of times we're not listening to the what the Lord is saying, right? A lot of times the Lord may be saying, "Hey, that's not what I want you to do." Like, like you know, even the Bible says, "Don't, don't be hasty in laying hands and praying on people," right? Because you may share in their sins and stuff. In other words, if they're filled with demonic spirits, you know, who knows and stuff. 
But the thing is, 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 is uh, and like I, I was saying earlier, sometimes we're ministering out of our own needs rather than someone else's need because I have a need that I have to minister to someone. I have to be Jesus to this person. I, 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 you know, I've got to feel good about myself and the way that I do that is by ministering to these people. Sometimes God wants us to say, no, I can't do that in this situation, right? Verse 21, or verse 22, And a Canaanite woman came from that region, came out, and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. What would we do? We'd be like, Oh, well, come here. Let me pray and let me do my thing. It says, Look at this in 23. It says, But Jesus did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him. So now, so so this woman comes to Jesus and, and she's got this need. And she's got a serious need. Her daughter is demon-possessed and she knows her daughter's demon-possessed and she's begging Jesus, Lord, come heal my daughter. She's demon-possessed. And he just looks at her. Now, what would you do in this situation? Would you be like, well, if that's the way you're going to be, then I'm just going to go somewhere else. I don't need this Jesus thing. If you pray for somebody and they don't get healed, what do you do? And even then, his disciples start imploring him, Lord, heal her. Come on, look at her. She needs help. And so, what would we do? We would give in to peer pressure, wouldn't we? Mm -hmm. He says, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. Get rid of her, right? says, but he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, again, he's telling the woman, like, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. Look at verse 25. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Does Jesus do it? Look what he says in verse 26. And he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now again, so many people that I have seen in my life, they came to Jesus when he was going to bless them, when he was going to deliver them, when he was going to do something for them that they couldn't do themselves. I've seen so many people because he didn't do something for them, they stopped following him. And they say, you know what, that's too hard. I don't want that. If you're, if you're not going to be my Santa Claus in the sky, if you're not going to be my hippie Jesus and just do whatever I want you to do, then I'm just going to live for the world. Verse 27. So Jesus said in verse 26, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Look what she says. He says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Which... <laughs> It's so awesome. What do you do when someone when someone calls you a name? What do you do? You call them a name back, right? Or you're like, oh, how dare you call me a dog? You say, like, yeah, okay, I'm a dog. I'm a sinner. You know, and so many people you talk to, and it's like you're a sinner, and they like get, they get offended. I, I I remember when people were trying to change the words to Amazing Grace because it said that he saved a wretch like me, and they wanted to change the word wretch to something else. We're all wretches. We're all sinners. We're all dogs and stuff. And look at her face. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Verse 28, then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. 
Now here's the question. Did Jesus want to heal her daughter from the very beginning? Uh, yes. Yeah. Right? Jesus loved her daughter. Jesus loved this woman. He wanted to heal her daughter. But he was testing her heart. Right? And he's saying, okay, you want me? You want my things? Well, there's a way to do it, and it's my way. And it's the way of submission. It's the way of putting down your pride. It's the way of putting down your preconceptions of what you think I should do for you. And humbling yourself before the Lord. The Bible says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And He will draw near to you. God only draws near. He only has that intimate relationship. He only... Um, reveals himself to the humble, to the ones who are willing to say, I will lay everything down if it's my pride. If, if you call me, I don't care if you call me a dog. I don't care if you call me a sinner. I don't care if you kind of he, he keep me at arm's length. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press through. And I'm going to go through the flames. I'm going to go through the fire. I'm going to go through the opposition. I'm going to go through whatever it takes that I can get close. When Jacob wrestling with Jesus is a good Exactly. He wrestled all night. And again, he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Look at another place in uh, Luke 18. See, and again, we, I, I, you know, and the thing is, Jesus never taught, the Bible says that Jesus always taught the people in parables. Why did he do that? I mean, why couldn't he just say straight up, hey, this is the way it is, and blah, 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 boom, and stuff. He says he always taught in parables, and he never taught without teaching in parables. Now, this is talking to the people, not to his disciples and stuff like that. And I wonder about that sometimes, because we in church, we want to make it so clear. We want to make everything so obvious. We want to make everything so readily available. And, and I've often asked myself, why did Jesus teach these people in parables? The reason why... It's because he wanted them to stop and to think. Right? Mm -hmm. He didn't want just just to hand feed them. It's the thing. The thing is, is say, say like if, if you had a rich dad and he bought you a, a Lamborghini and you're a 16-year-old kid, what are you going to do? You're going to burn the tires off of it and probably run it into something, right? But if you go out and you work like a dog, and you buy yourself a 1994 Toyota Corolla that you have slaved over, that you have spent hours trying to make money for, to buy, you're going to take care of it. And that's the way salvation is. You know, God's not just going to give us all this stuff to, to us to be spoiled children and just to go out and blow it. Right? It's like the prodigal son. And again, the reason why he taught them in parables so, is so that they would begin to question things. Because we need to question. We need to ask. We need to come to the... And God doesn't mind. God loves when we come to him and say, Lord, why is it this way? I don't understand. I want to know. The Bible says if you lack wisdom, ask him and he'll give it to you. God, and that's it. That, see, this is the relationship. This is the getting to know Him and Him knowing us. This is the spending time in His presence, just like you do a friend. You know, if you're married to a person and you never spend time with them, your marriage is going to be in trouble at some point. 
If you're too busy to spend time with your spouse, if you got all these other friends that you want to be with, all these other things that you want to do, all these other loves calling you away, your marriage will not last because it's not based on intimacy. Our, our relationship with the Lord is a marriage and it's based on intimacy and it's based on give and take and us asking him questions and speaking to us. And, you know, the Bible says, ask of me and I will show you great and awesome things that you do not know. But again, it, all relationships take time and developing. You, it, it, and the, we all know people that just entrust themselves to anybody. What happens? They get their hearts trampled on time after time after time. It's like you've got to stop doing that. You've got to get to know the person and stuff. And the thing is, is if you, you know, we all know the stories of these rich people that have these crowds and these posses that follow them and stuff. And as soon as they they go bankrupt, what happens to the posses? They're gone, right? And that's the way we try to teach treat treat Jesus a lot of times. We're like, Lord, as long as you let the good times flow, as long as you got, you know, you're taking care of me financially, as long as, you know, my family's well, as long as everything's going good, I'll follow you. Mm -hmm. Right? Matthew, or Luke chapter 18. Verse 18. The rich young ruler. We've talked about this before. It says, a ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, what was Jesus doing? He was trying to get him to think, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, If you're calling me good, and I am good, then what does that mean? That means I'm God, right? right. He says, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And the guy says, all these I've kept from my youth. Again, this is a religious person that Jesus is talking to. Someone that has been brought up in the law and the, the ways of Moses and in the temple and everything. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Now, Jesus knew, he looked into this man's heart, and he knew that this man's thing was greed, right? Now, for someone else, he might look into their heart and says, well, you got this lust problem. You deal with that, and then come follow me. Someone might have an anger problem. He say, you deal with your anger, then come follow me, right? So it's just in this particular man's problem that this man's particular issue was his possessions had his heart. Look at this in 23. It says, But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And another version says, And then he went away. It says, And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy, whether it's wealth of pride, whether it's wealth of possessions, whether it's wealth of lust, whether it's whatever we have that's more valuable than God. How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now again, other versions of this same account talk about how the rich young ruler went away sad. And it doesn't say that Jesus chased after him and said, Oh, you know what? Hey, as long as you come to our church, as long as you pay your tithes, as long as you, 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 um, you vote on the elders and stuff like that, then, then you'll be okay. And that's what we do. I can do a miracle for you. Watch this miracle. Watch this. Yeah. And that and that's fig tree with her right in front of your eyes. I'm the son of God. Believe me. 
<laughs> yeah. And that's what we do. That's what we, you know, if someone comes, if someone were to come to one of our altar calls and say, what do I got to do? And so if we just say, hey, all you got to do is pray this prayer. Right? Pray this prayer. Come to church every Sunday. Pay your tithes. You're good. Jesus didn't do that. He said, you got some things in your heart that you got to deal with. And so again, the man came up against that sword. He came up against that fire and he wasn't willing to pay the price to go through it to get to know Jesus. He was happy and he was content with his religion. And the thing is, is, is that fire, it's not like a one-time event. Um, God brings us through we experience those things many times in our lives. And the thing is, is every time God wants to take us to another level in Him, every time God wants us to, to grow in grace and mercy, every time He wants us to take us beyond the plateau that we're at to another level in Him, it's another process of going through those fires. It's a deeper consecration. It's a deeper dying to ourselves. It's a deeper revelation of who He is. And it all comes through laying down our lives and dying to ourselves so that we can know Him. And uh, like, turn to John chapter 2. And again, we, we see the thing is, is it, it's so, we, we make it so easy in the church. You know, all you got to do is say this prayer and you're good and stuff like this. Look at this in John 2, verse 24, or verse 23. It said, Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. Look at this in verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in the man. So again, all these people are following Jesus and they, they're seeing all his miracles and they're, they're following him. It says he's not entrusting himself to them. And I wonder, again, how many of us in the church, in the, in the body of Christ, we, you know, on that day, we're going to say, Lord, but didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I heal the sick in your name? Didn't I do miracles in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because it's, again, it's not about the religious things we do. It's not about the, the ministering that we do. It's not about the, the, all the stuff that we do in His name. It's about knowing Him. And when we know Him, He flows through us. You see that? One more scripture in Jeremiah chapter 3. And again, all I'm trying to do is, is get us to see what's possible and what we can be, what we can do. Jeremiah is after, after Isaiah. Which is after Proverbs. Okay. It's kind of almost in the middle. Jeremiah what? Chapter 3. Is it 31? Actually, it's chapter 31, sorry. It 
So Jeremiah 31, verse 1. It says, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. Look at verse 2. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword, remember how we talked about that flaming sword? He says, the people who survived the sword found grace in the, in the wilderness, Israel, when it went to find its rest. And so, again, God wants, he longs for a people that are willing to press through the obstacles, to press through the hard things, to press through when we, when we get on our knees, when we pray, and we're just like, I feel nothing. I, I feel like I, my prayers aren't you know, going anywhere. And we study the Bible, and it doesn't make sense. And he wants a people that are going to say, you know what, I'm going to press through this. And, and Lord, I just trust you to move on my heart and stuff. And, and there's times when, when we... When you don't feel it, there's times when, and that's the thing, the Bible says we don't walk by faith, we, or we don't walk by sight, in other words, by what we see, by what we feel, by what we experience, but we walk by faith. And so this walk, this, we, this, this walk of Christianity and this walk of getting to know Him is a walk of faith. And if we walk through these dry times, if we walk through the hard times, when we walk through the times where we can't sense Him, can't feel Him, because it, it's not about that. When we do those things and we show to him that we're faithful, the Bible says, he who's faithful in little will be faithful in much. And God will re reward those who are faithful in little with more. Mm -hmm. And so if we, if we can seek God when the things are difficult, when, when, when our minds are distracted and when, when we're wanting to do other things and we're like, you know what? I would rather do this. I would rather seek God. I would rather try to get to know him than watch television. Try to get to know him than play video games. Try to get to know him than go hang out with my buddies and stuff like that. When we are in that place, God will begin to reveal himself to us. Because then we're going through that fire and we're going to that flames and we're going into the presence of where he is. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown into the fiery furnace, it says... That, they're, that, they, that they weren't burned up by it and their clothes didn't even smell like flames. Hmm. And so there's that place in God that's like the eye of the tornado, the eye of the storm where everything's rumbling and, they, and it's a tempest and it's roaring and flames and stuff like that, but we're in the center of it where the Lord is at and we're in the eye of the storm and we're at the place where He dwells hmm. and it's His presence and... And that's that's, awesome. that's that's the place. That's where we're trying to get. That is the goal of our praying. That is the goal of that is where he wants his church. That is where he wants his bride. And he wants a people to be and, and when we when we can begin to do that individually, when we come together corporately, when we pray for the body of Christ, things will happen. When we pray for our loved ones who are lost, things will happen. When we pray for a world that's lost, things will happen. When we will pray for people that are sick, things will happen. Because it won't be us ministering. It won't be us doing religious things. It won't be us um, being church. It will be the Holy Spirit flowing through us and moving through us through that place of intimacy and relationship with Him. Amen?
the scripture references um, 